0: Okay, if you have been with us this morning uh, for the last three, four weeks, we've been looking at the life of Elijah. Uh, Elijah ministered in a very difficult time in the life of the children of Israel. So uh, a little bit of review, and this will help you also in in where we're going today uh, in, in talking about it. When Saul was the first king of Israel, Saul gives the kingdom to David David is then king of Israel. David then gives the king to Solomon. Solomon then gives the kingdom to his two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. At that point, Israel splits in two. There's a north and there's a south. Uh, In the southern part, two tribes, a guy by the name of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, takes over there. That kingdom struggles for a number of years. They have good kings and bad kings. So sometimes they're with a good king, sometimes with a bad king. The northern kingdom is much, much different. The northern kingdom, one of the things that Jeroboam does is he says, look, I don't want people going down in the south. I don't want them going down to Jerusalem every year to worship. So I'm going to make worship convenient for them. We're going to set up two worship centers, one in the top part of our kingdom, one in the bottom part of our kingdom, and you can just worship there. And so he sets up those as kind of... Um, in place of worship places. And um, it's contrary to what God said. It's not what God wanted. And Israel really pays a price for it because in the history then of Israel as a northern tribe, they only last about 210 years, and they have nothing but bad kings. It starts out bad, and it just keeps going bad. We come into that about halfway with a king by the name of Ahab. He's in charge. Nothing good is said about Ahab. Ahab marries Jezebel, it was kind of a political thing, and nothing good comes out of that. Jezebel worships Baal, and she brings with her Baal worship. She brings in a number of prophets of Baal, about 450. She brings in a number of prophets uh, of, of, uh, of actually prophets of uh, uh, of another god at the time, and so she really tries to convert that whole northern Israel to worship someone other than Jehovah she actually goes and has a number of the prophets of God slain on the scene pops into a guy by the name of Elijah we don't know anything about his background he just appears on the scene and when he goes he just disappears uh, Elijah comes onto the scene God says look I want this place to change so I'm going to send a drought and Elijah you're my guy you go to Ahab you tell Ahab it's not going to rain until you say so then, and then Elijah I'm going to hide you in the brook chariot so he takes him to the brook chariot Then he says, okay, Elijah, um, the ravens are going to feed you there. They bring him food, uh, bread and water, or food every day, uh, meat and water every day, Uh, morning and night. The brook dries up. God says, okay, time to move on. Go to Zarephath. There a little little, widow woman takes care of him. Then after three and a half years, God says it's time to go to Ahab. He goes to Ahab, and he says, let's find out who God's got So with that in mind, he has a challenge. He says, you bring all the prophets up to Mount Carmel, and we'll see whose God is really God. So they go to the top of Mount Carmel, and there's a showdown. And that's the story we talked about last week, where God, God sends fire from heaven. Elijah has the 450 prophets slain. He then goes back to the top of the mountain and starts to pray. And he prays seven times, and God sends rain. He tells Ahab, get back to your palace because if you don't get back fast enough you're going to get stuck in the mud and then Elijah makes a beeline to the palace. that's where we left the story last week Okay. this morning as we pick up the story I want to set a background for you because I think sometimes we read these texts we don't think along these lines so let me let me try to drop you back into that culture for a minute where was Jezebel when Carmel took place help me out where was she She's back in the palace, right? So put yourself back at the palace with Jezebel for a minute. She's sitting in a palace. She knows there's going to be a showdown. She has sent all 450 of her prophets over to Carmel. She's waiting for news about what happened. All she knows is there was going to be a showdown, and now it's raining. So she's sitting at the palace going, my guys did it. We finally won. Now I know for sure this God that the the Jewish people worship, there's no way. There's no way. Elijah beat 450 of my best people. And Ahab shows up with good news, it's raining, and bad news. So, with that in mind, let's read the story. Notice what it says. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now her blood starts to boil. And notice what happens. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. She basically takes Elijah and says, You're going to be on Israel. You're going to go to the top of my ten most wanted list. And I'm putting out a bounty on your head, dead or alive, and I'm going to pay them a bonus if they do it in the next 24 hours. You are a dead man for what you just did remember, this is a guy who's been fed by wavens, taken care of the widow, called down fire from heaven, prayed for rain after three and a half years, and it rained. Okay? Notice what happened. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree or juniper tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I'll take my life. I'm no better than my answer. He lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Went on? The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached for the mount of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant have broken down your altar. Put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So, Elijah kind of lays out this whole thing right here. And he takes off running. now, when you and I read this, we don't often go to the Book of Maps in the back of your Bible. So let me help you here. I'm going to take you through. Go to the next one. Go to that. Uh, go to that one. It's got like four on it. What do we call? All right. This is the life of Elijah. I want you to understand it. He starts out here in Samaria. He says, "Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so." God takes him right here to Cherah. He spends now this time being fed by ravens. God says, "Now I want you to go up to Zarephath." Notice the top part of the kingdom is like right here. So he's outside the kingdom. He goes up there and the widow lady takes care of him. God says, go talk to Ahab. Tell him that we're going to have a showdown. They come to Samaria. He then goes to Carmel. This is where the, the, the fire calls down from heaven takes place. Then he goes to Jezreel. And this is where we find our story starting this morning. And the text says when he hears this, he runs 150 miles south to Beersheba okay? understand it. this is the northern kingdom. It goes like right across here, actually north of here. The line is right here for the southern kingdom goes all the way down to Beersheba. Not only does he leave Israel, but he travels all the way to the extreme part of Beersheba. okay? Then he leaves, he leaves a servant here and he goes all the way down to Horeb. Let me show it to you in another picture, give you a better idea of what, what he's doing. I'll go to the next one. Here's Jezreel. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Beersheba. Here's Sinai. In the known world at this time, in essence, what he did was he went to the other side of the world. It'd be like me telling you somebody's looking for you, you don't go to Sioux City. You don't even go to Chicago, and you don't even go to New York. You jump on a plane and go to a jungle and pop in a jungle. That's how far this guy goes. This is one scared guy. Now, this is a guy who's fed by ravens? This is a guy who called down fire from heaven? This guy is so depressed and overwhelmed at this moment. He literally goes from here, and it takes him almost two months, all the way down to here. That's our God. That's God's man. That's how overwhelmed he was with the fact that Jezebel wanted his life. a lot of questions from us how does God's man go get to that point um, this guy runs I mean he is so scared he goes to Beersheba and I think he does something classic here that's really important He what does he do he leaves his servant so now he's going by himself which is dangerous you've heard me say a hundred times the Christian life is not a solo journey you see it here. In fact, after this, at the end of this story, let me fast forward to the end of the story, which we're going to talk about next week. You wanna know what one of the things that God does him right away God does for him right away? He gives him another person to, to hang with him, called Elisha. Because he makes a classic mistake of trying to go this on his own. And he leaves his servant in Beersheba, and now he goes into the desert. You would think after three and a half years of drought. That wouldn't exactly be your first choice. But he goes to the desert. He finds a juniper tree or a broom tree, which is basically a big bush. He sits down behind it, and then his prayer goes something like this. God, I'm done. You know, I keep following you. For three and a half years, I've done everything that you wanted me to do. God, I'm exhausted. I'm tired physically. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I've had it. I keep trying to do the right things, and I get knocked down. And so, God, I'm done. I'm not going to take my own life, but I want you to take it. Because I have had my limit. I'm the only guy left, and I'm just tired of fighting. I'm done. And he goes to sleep. Now, if you're the God of heaven, and you have fed this guy for three and a half years you've answered his prayer, you've called down fire from heaven, and you've given him rain after praying for it, and your servant is sitting down there having a great big pity party, what do you say to him? Get over it! Right? No, you know what God does? Because listen, you learn a lot of things in this story about God. You know what God does? In heaven, God looks at an angel and says... I got a guy down there who's pretty tired. Go make him supper. And an angel leaves heaven, comes down to the earth, makes a little fire, bakes this guy a cake, taps him on the shoulder, and he wakes up and he says, Look, here's something to drink. Grab you a cake. Go ahead and eat. And Elijah's response to the angel is what? What does he do after he eats? He goes back to sleep. An angel from heaven just fed the man. And it's not like, oh, wow, you're like so cool. Hey, I got a lot of questions for you. He's like, all right. Night. He goes back to sleep. And the next morning, a lot of people believe this this is like a night morning thing. The next morning, or at least after a while... God sends another angel, or maybe the same angel stayed overnight. I don't know. And says, feed him again. So he taps him on the shoulder. He wakes him up. And I'm thinking, how awesome would this be? I'm not a morning person, but I'm telling you, if an angel walked into my room, I think I could get to be a morning person. You know, huh? Huh? Yes, I'm woken up by an angel every day. Um, (laughs) We are not even going down that road. I get myself in a lot of trouble. But an angel wakes him up. An angel feeds him. An angel from God. And to him... Are you ready for this? He is so depressed... He is so down. He is so discouraged. He is so overwhelmed. He doesn't even care. He doesn't. He still. It still has not made an impact to him. He's that overwhelmed. And the text says that it gives him enough strength. And notice what the angel said to him: "You need to eat because the journey ahead of you is long." The angel knew he's, this guy's going to keep running. He's like, "I'm going to feed." And so this had to be quite a meal. It took care of him for like 40 days. I'm thinking it was like a sack of white castles. Um, But (laughs) 40 days, you know. I was trying to think, last time I had him was like four years or five years ago. And and so I'm I'm waiting for my moment again. But anyway, um, it it was one of these days where he, he went 40 days. And what does God do for 40 days? He lets him do his thing. And notice what the text goes on to say. Let's read verse 11. Here's what it says The Lord said, Go out and stand on a mountain. Because he had run, he finally came to a cave, Mount Horeb. There's a whole bunch of cool Bible things that happened there. But he's in this cave at Mount Horeb. God comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And what does Elijah say? I, you know what? I'm tired. I have a right to be here, God. I've got a right to be here. I've done all this thing. Nobody else is following you. I'm done. I'm done. That's why I've I've run as far as I'm run. So God comes to him and says, All right, let's go for a walk, Elijah. Go out and stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Oh, very similar to the story of Moses. He goes out and he stands at the opening of this cave or wherever it is, and here's what happened. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. So, picture this. Elijah is now standing there and he watches the mountains and they start to shake and they start to split and rocks start coming down around him. And notice what it says. But the Lord was not in the wind. That's just what the wind did. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. So now, not only is everything blowing, trees snapping, the earth starts to shake. So the ground he's standing on is physically starting to shake. He's grabbing hold of something. Notice what it says, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. He had just 40 days, 45, 50 days earlier, had seen fire come down from heaven. I have in my mind, just like this kind of glory thing, he's standing there and he's looking at this pillar of fire just consuming everything right in front of him. But the Lord was not in the fire. And notice what it says. After the fire came a gentle whisper. So he's standing there watching all of this stuff happen. And then it's eerily silent. And God goes... Elijah. Hey, Elijah. Elijah. And notice what it says. When Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face. At some point, he had gotten so scared, he went back into the cave. He pulls his coat over his, over his face, and he comes out to the mouth of the cave. He's scared to death at this point. He thought, Eli- he thought Jezebel was bad. I mean, this is, this is like earth-shattering kind of stuff. Stop! And then the voice says to him the same thing that God asked him the first time Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? Notice what happens. What does he say? I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death before the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You go back and look. You know what he says? The exact same thing he said the first time. You know what that means? After all of this, it made no impact. This guy's been fed by angels. This guy's seen God. He said, all oh, this thing. And God says, Elijah... What are you doing here but God I've been so zealous for you nobody, I'm the only one left and you're God now and you put up with this craziness for two months now what are you going to do what are you going to say to your prophet your servant what do you want to say <laughs> you know don't you want to at some point go buddy I've had enough isn't that the view most of you have of God but God, when you get out of line, just whaps you upside the head. Every one of us would have had our... We would have been done with Elijah at this point. But not God. And God comes to him and look at what God says. He goes on, he says this. Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back the way you came. Get back to where you belong. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Amran, Jehu, son of Nisha over Israel. So he looks in and he goes, okay, Elijah, you need to get moving. Go on back. On your way. You've got to go anoint this guy with king. You're going to anoint this guy king. And then notice what he goes on to say. And anoint and anoint Elisha, son of Shem, from Abel to succeed you as a prophet. You see, Elijah, you know you left your guy, so I'm going to give you another one. And then, almost as a PS, God says, Jehu put death and he escaped the sword, and Elisha will put death and he escaped the sword of Jehu. Oh, by the way, I have 7,000 people, Elijah, just like you. Now, look, what happened in the life of Elijah is Elijah somewhere got into this I, nobody gets me but me kind of mentality. Because we know Obadiah had told him he had hit 100 prophets. But when when Elijah stands on a mountain at Carmel, you know what he says? I'm the only one. And he lays the groundwork for depression here for himself. And then he runs from God and he's overwhelmingly depressed. He's suicidal. And God doesn't beat him up. God doesn't tell him to just suck it up and get moving. God, and this is very, very important, the first thing God does is he feeds him and he gives him rest. Okay, listen to me. Some of you who struggle with depression, some of you who go through really difficult times, two things you better make sure of, food and rest. There's a biblical principle laid out here for how God deals with it. And one of the first things God does to Elijah is he feeds him and he gets him some sleep this guy has had one whirlwind of a week and then God starts to minister to him and one of the ways God ministers to him is he says okay you've had plenty of time to process this now you need to get back up and I got some stuff for you to do go do it and he gets in to be active again um, I think there's a lot of great lessons in this story I love the Bible because it shows us people as they actually are but here's here's a couple for us to I think focus on at least this morning, or for you to think about this week. Here's first thing: don't forget that testing comes after times of great victory. Things going well in your life right now, things doing really great, and kind of like reached a you're on the mountaintop. That's great. Enjoy it. Camp on the mountaintop, but be ready. Because after the mountaintop, Satan is not happy. So Satan is going to unload. You see this in the life of Elijah. He has just experienced carmel. He has just experienced rain. He has just experienced all of these great, wonderful things. And I really genuinely believe one of the things that happened in the life of Elijah is Elijah goes back to Jezreel, and Elijah is sitting outside the palace or wherever he's sitting, and he's sitting there thinking, man... We've done it, God. We've done it. The people are going to follow you now. Did you see how all those people slew the prophets of Baal? They wiped out 450 people without even a thought. Now we can go through, and here's what we can do, God. We can get rid of all the Baal worship stuff, and we can get rid of, and we can get people to follow after Jehovah. And I can start an instituting priests again, and we can, get, we can get guys doing it. And God, Israel's going to turn back to you. And then he gets word that Jezebel wants him dead in 24 hours, and it shatters his world it shatters his world. Or he may have just been coming back and he's relaxing saying, oh man, it's going to be great in Israel now. Look, I don't want you to be cynical, but I want you to be realistic. You look at the life of Jesus Christ. After the baptism of Jesus Christ, where God speaks from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I will plead. What's the next event in the life of Christ? Temptation for 40 days. Go to Palm Sunday, where people are shouting, Hosanna, King, da-da-da-da. What happens within seven days? He's on a cross. Within five days, they're crying out, crucify Him. After times of great victory come times of great temptation and testing. Don't forget that. Elijah forgot that. It became a problem. So if things are going really well for you right now, man, enjoy it. If if you've been praying for something or you've been looking for something and all of a sudden you hit that pinnacle and you got what you wanted and and, and it's like God answered prayer and God's good and da da da, man, enjoy it. But be careful. Be aware that Satan is not happy and he is going to work. Be aware of that. That's what he does here in the life of Elijah. Here's the second thing. What does Elijah do here? Up until now, he has always focused on God. There's going to be a drought. God, you'll take care of me at Cherith. God takes care of me at Zarephath. God's going to call down fire from heaven at, at Carmel. God's going to send rain. I'll keep praying until he sends rain. I know God will listen. But for the first time in the life of Elijah, here's what happens. He starts focusing on his circumstances. And he takes his eyes off of God. And that gets him in trouble. Because what does he say over and over again in this story. I've done all of this stuff and nobody's paid attention. I'm the only one. God, you know, I can't tell you how many times I hear it. Pastor, you don't live in my world. If you lived in my world, you'd understand why I do what I do. You're right. I don't live in your world. But I do understand there are certain principles that are true no matter what. And one of those principles is when you focus on your circumstances you lose sight of God when you start focusing because look we've all lived long enough to know this whatever's going on in your life right now it could be better and it could be worse Nobody sitting in here has had to share a toothbrush with ten other people it could be worse could be worse and and elijah here starts focusing and what does he start doing he starts listing out all the things that he's done for god and he starts to get into this self-centered syndrome about the idea that i only am left and what happens when he gets into that world it starts to deteriorate to the point that he doesn't feel his life is even worth living now by the way before you're too hard on him you need to remember this Moses prayed the same prayer. And so did Jonah. The Bible's filled with characters who prayed this way. What I think is really cool about the life of Elijah, God never answers Elijah's prayer because he doesn't die. Which I think is awesome. That's a whole other message in and of itself. But in the life of Elijah, and and this is what I would say, I don't want to minimize your circumstance. I don't want to minimize what you're going through at all. I don't want to, 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 to blow it off. But here's what I want to ask. Where's God in this? Have you taken your eyes off of God in this situation? And have you become so absorbed with what it is you're going through that you've missed God? Here's what I wonder about this story. I wonder how this story could have been written I wonder what did Elijah really miss God continued to use Elijah after the story but you know what I wonder what Elijah miss. how would this story play out if Elijah's sitting outside of the palace and he hears hey Jezebel wants to take your life and he said well I'll tell you what tell her I'll be preaching on the Sabbath down at the synagogue right around the corner she can find me there here, give her my phone number. Tell her to call anytime. Here's where I'll be. How would Israel maybe have changed with Elijah being able to stand up against Jezebel? What blessings? Because here's what you'll find as you go on farther in this story. God uses Elisha tremendously. And I wonder if Elijah miss that because he ran instead of staying and doing what God wanted him to do. And I wonder sometimes when we get so focused on our circumstances and we take it into our own hands and we kind of do our own thing, what we really miss. And I just want to challenge you, be careful. Your situation could be worse, it could be better, I get it. But please don't underestimate underestimate God in it? Try to see what God can do in and through that circumstance. Because here's what I found. Some of the most horrendous stories that I know of what people have been through, I've watched them take it and use it for the kingdom and use it. And the the craziness is, that thing that should have been a weakness becomes a strength. That thing that should have been a tragedy is still a tragedy. But the reality of it is, now there is some good things coming out of it. but you've got to be able to see God in it. And and, and here's the third lesson, I think, in this story. is simply this. God is always at work. See, I think the whole thing with Elijah and standing at the mountain and seeing all that stuff, let's think about the life of Elijah for a minute. Elijah, for three and a half years, had watched God work outwardly in big ways. Every day, ravens came in and dropped food there. Then every day, they'd open up the barrel, more food. And then I go to the mountain, I dump all kinds of water on the altar, and God, take it from God, a short little prayer, and God brings down fire from heaven. And then I go to the mountain and I start praying, and God sends water and rain. This guy had watched God do some really great things. And then even when he runs from God, God sends angels to feed him. And then God stands him on a mountain, and God says, Let me show you all these incredibly powerful things. But I'm not in them, Elijah. Elijah, I'm that still small voice. Elijah, just because it's not spectacular doesn't mean I'm not at work. See, we're in a culture that likes to see stuff. And if you're not careful, what you'll begin to think is if there's not super spectacular things happening, God's not at work. Be careful about that. God's one of those... God loves doing stuff. Honestly, I... Again, my background, theater, that kind of thing. God's like the perfect stagehand. He makes sure it all goes off, and he doesn't need to be out front. He's that he's that waiter, if you will, in a restaurant that makes everything go smoothly. And make sure you get what you need, and da da da. You know, I had the most phenomenal waitress. We we stopped at a waitri- at a restaurant in town we'd never been at, and we stopped there. And and this waitress, I tell you what, i never, I couldn't tell you last time we did. I gave her like a thirty percent tip. She was awesome. I get like three drinks out of my drink, and she was bringing me another one. I'm like, man, most people. I mean, most people. I've got the glass sitting on the edge of the table. I'm dumping ice cubes on the floor. And they still don't think I need a drink, but she is. And, and she stopped and she talked to us and did it. And I'm like, "Honey, I don't know what they pay you, but it ain't enough." You know, and God's one of those behind the scenes kind of people. And God's not going to scream and beat you up and jump up and down and holler. And God's going to sit there and quietly go, "You know what? You don't need to talk to your spouse that way." You know what? Nobody else is paying attention to that person in the office. Why don't you go over there and say hi to him today? You know what? Everybody else is ignoring that person. Why don't you go out of your way? You know what? That person in the line just chewed that cashier out. Why don't you say something to encourage their day? Why don't you be that person? That's God. It's that small, quiet voice talking and pricking our heart. But you know what happens in our culture? There's so much noise we don't hear I want to challenge you to hear that still small voice this week. I want to challenge you to listen to that voice that says, yeah, they didn't charge you for this, but i want to take it back. That still small voice that says, you know what? You need to email this person. You need to write this person. You need to call this person. You need to see how they're doing. You need to go check on them. That's still a small voice. Listen to it. And there may not be anything spectacular going on in your life right now, but I guarantee you, he's still working. He's still working. The thing that frustrates me a little bit about the pastorate is this. There are times in this ministry that we've seen the God do some really great, outward, cool, kind of fantastic stuff, and that's always exciting. But what I get excited about is those quiet things where I see this person who struggled for years all of a sudden start to get victory and God at work and this person and that person this situation, maybe this couple or maybe this family and, and, and or this, this person, and, and I get to see that, but I can't share it because I get to see God at work all week long in those little areas like that, and in my own life, in my own family. God's at work. This may not be all the spectacular stuff that we often look for. But he's at work. He's at work in your life. So this week, listen to that small, small voice. If you're overwhelmed by your circumstances, try to figure out where God is in the middle of all that. And as you go throughout this week, whatever, whatever you do, be on your guard. Because testing often comes. Because God wants to do something great and Satan wants to stop it. And I wonder here sometimes, if in this little story, he didn't get the advantage in Elijah. But God still uses Elijah, and God uses Elisha in great ways. And it will do the same thing for us. So let's pray. Lord, help us. <clears throat> Lord, I can't imagine to live in the world that some people here have had to live in. Lord, it just seems that some of the circumstances and some of the situations have become overwhelming, almost... Or to the point that it's incomprehensible on how they continue to go on, but they do. And Lord, would you continue to use those people to be a strength in our our lives. Lord, may you continue to work in our lives to to help us to take our eyes off of our circumstances and focus on you. And Lord, use us. God, there's a lot of things this week that are going to be noise in our lives, so help us to hear your voice that quiet voice speaking to our hearts, that we would love you, follow you, and obey you, Lord, with our whole heart. And use us And these things. We will give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. And in your name we pray.